1: And I'm so excited to announce that in August, we will be having the 400th episode of the Author to Authority podcast. And in celebration of that, I have decided to do the top 25 episodes of the Author to Authority podcast for the whole summer. And we will celebrate the 400 about mid-August. So there'll be a couple of episodes after that. And I chose these episodes because they were the ones that I just personally felt were the ones that gave tremendous amount of value. That we're going to help you as an entrepreneur, professional, a speaker, a coach to move your business forward. These were value-packed episodes that are just going to give you action steps that are just going to really propel you to the next level. So I'd love for you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this top 25 episode. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today I am so thrilled to have Michelle Nedelik here with us. And one of the reasons is I think there's a lot of confusion today with entrepreneurs about whether they should be building their business online or offline. So I'm quite interested in today's conversation with Michelle, and we're going to be focusing online versus offline marketing for entrepreneurs. And what does that mean and what does that look like? So Michelle has over 20 years experience in executive coaching, working with clients ranging from solopreneurs to eight figure clients. She runs the creative side of her Infusionsoft done for you marketing tech service company, helping entrepreneurs to set up and maintain their Infusionsoft through her company awareness strategies. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Are you impressed? That was a really great
2: opening. No, why? Is that <laughs> well particularly, There's some hard stuff in there. I'm going, wow, I think that's meant for print, not reading.
1: <laughs> Just laughing because I always have my guests give me their bios because everyone's like, oh, I love your introductions. Yeah, I didn't write yeah, a single I- word of it. <laughs> I give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I would love to start the show by just having you share a little bit about who you are and how did you come to this place where you know you're doing this executive coaching? And, you know, helping entrepreneurs with their marketing. Awesome.
2: Well, I'll try and give you the kind of the highlight (laughs) version and then we can delve into whatever you like. But basically in 2003, I started a a speaking company and we started training Bob Proctor seminars and we quickly morphed into doing our own seminars, into just expanding that business, going into the mindset. I started another company that was all about being able to help people to change their mindsets and then the executive coaching, specializing in business. And eventually we got our award, very prestigious award for our work with PTSD. So to mm-hmm. me understanding the mind and how we create change as quickly as possible was fascinating. And it was particularly fascinating in the entrepreneurial world because entrepreneurs are infamous for being able to take information, apply it right away in order to be able to get the result right away. And that to me was fantastic and fascinating. Because you have no choice. Exactly. <laughs> There was that (laughs) kind of help push the results along. (laughs) People are way more motivated when it comes to money than they are in their health and their relationship. Pretty sure that's what it was. Yeah. (laughs) So in about 2014, 15, somewhere in there, people started asking for more content online. So they wanted videos and they wanted to be able to consume the information when they were available to, as opposed to having to be in a course and things like that, or wanting the recordings of the courses and being able to follow it. So we were a little scrambled by that because my goal had been to make sure that I was always there for people. We wanted to run our business a little differently, which I think in retrospect was kind of a mistake that we did it all kind of face to face and mm-hmm. and not being able to incorporate the digital aspects as quickly as we could have. So we'll talk about that later as to what lessons I learned, because there was a lot of really expensive ones there. You don't want to learn on your own. So we started I started putting together kind of the software that I needed. I went to masterminds and did what my coaches told me to do. We created this lovely thing that I now affectionately call Frankenware. And unfortunately I had a hate relationship with Frank. Every time there was an update or some sort of thing, he'd start popping an eye out or losing a limb. And I was like, okay, there's gotta be a better way. And then I went to my partner in business and pleasures. We like to say, Brad Mooney, I think everybody needs a Brad in their pocket. I said, can you just take this over? And he was so frustrated with it being an IT guy. He found Infusionsoft at a conference. He said, I want to do this. I said, you do whatever you want as long as you take it off my hands. And after that, we've had this perfect kind of love affair with tech, meaning that I don't do any of it, (laughs) which is why with it now. And he does all of it, which is fabulous. And we, through the process of going to masterminds, things like that, we realized nobody knows how to do this. It's not their jam. They shouldn't know how to do it. They're good at writing. They're good at speaking. They're good at doing their thing that they're super good at and experienced at. And tech's not it. And even if tech is it, they probably shouldn't be doing their own anyways, because the cobbler's children are never wearing (laughs) shoes (laughs) and all of that fun stuff. So that's how we got into it. And yeah, we're loving every minute of it. And it still it keeps growing. We recently become certified by the Canadian government for their Canadian digital adoption program, which we're super excited about. And uh, we just keep wanting to help entrepreneurs grow their businesses.
1: Yay, Canada. I love Canada.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I loved what you said
1: there about making the mistakes and wanting to help people not to make those same mistakes. And that is one of my goals as well. I spent well, probably 12 to 15 years as an entrepreneur failing forward, but not succeeding.
2: <laughs> well, and, you know, let me back up a little bit because I, I think this is important too. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck on, yeah, but I've been in business for yeah X amount of years and I'm not a millionaire. So what? So yeah. what? Are you happy in what you do? Do you love what you do? Are you narrowing down who you love to work with, things that you're good at and where you're at? Because I think a lot of people define... Well, historically, we have always defined success as kind of, are you in that top echelons of society? And fortunately, I think in the 90s, that started to change from the me generation into more of a, hey, I want to be out in nature and I want to experience life and all this kind of fun thing. But somehow we still are stuck 30 years later in this idea that I'm not successful if I don't achieve this monetary goal and i 'm going to disagree wholeheartedly on that, mm-hmm. because I think if you can start to figure out who you are as an individual and you can start to figure out what you're good at and you can start to figure out who you like to associate with, you are on a fast track path to success in that that is success that's me is success yeah. if i if i 'm happy doing what i 'm doing, I love you know petting my dog and looking at the mountains. this is nirvana. the rest is entertaining. <laughs> And, and keep in mind, I help entrepreneurs become millionaires, but it starts with breaking it down and backing up the bus a little bit and going, okay, what do you love to do? What do you want to do? How do you want to spend your life and your daytime doing things? Because that is what success is. I just want to not be the jerk that I was yesterday. And if I can be less of a jerk today, I am successful. If I can make you happy in this moment, I am successful. If I can make you enjoy this moment that we're spending together a little bit more and lighten the load off of you, that to me is success. And the rest is icing on the cake. Yeah, you know, I love how you
1: said that. And what most people don't realize is that, you know, if you've earned a 1000 or $5,000 in your business, you're in that top echelon.
2: <laughs> right? People, you're rocking, most, baby. Keep doing most, it. They, most businesses quit before they ever even make $10,000. Absolutely. I tell my story. When I started in business, I was 23 years old. I was up in the Northwest Territories, so, oh. you know, next to Santa Claus. <laughs> He was very successful. I on the other hand started a tanning salon, an electronic store, and a bed and breakfast all in <laughs> ninety early nineties before the internet was a thing. And there was t- how, how much population was there? <laughs> I think there was about five thousand, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That was during tour season when our population doubled. It was there was a lot of lessons learned on that one. <laughs> So needless to say, that didn't quite work out. Well, not needless to say, but my relationship didn't work out. Therefore, the businesses didn't work out. I went back south, started another business. That one didn't work. I started another business. That one didn't work. And people listen to my story when I <laughs> went into a little bit of detail. And they're like, girl, how many businesses did you start and just close? Because they didn't work. And uh there were a lot of them. And there, there were nuggets of success. There were tons of lessons learned in them that I kept yeah. bringing forward, kept bringing forward which then allowed me to be able to help people to set their targets to their businesses smarter, more effective. And it's like, no, this is the thing. And I see where you're off track because I've done that. (laughs) No, I see where you're at because I've done that. (laughs) Trust me. There's not many mistakes in business you can make that I haven't done. Uh, Why? I think ultimately, spiritually, it was so that I could help other people because if I had just done it right, I wouldn't necessarily have the empathy or the sympathy to be able to see where they're at and help them to get to where they want to be in understanding that, you know, we're attached to our, our babies. This is, this is my entrepreneurial baby and I don't want to let it go. And, and I get that. And here's how you get beyond that and, and go to where you really want to get to, which in the end for most of us is I want to make some money at this now. And I want to have fun doing it, but I also want to make some money out of It, it-
1: you know, I can so relate. I spent many, many years in, you know, direct sales, network marketing, multi-level marketing and that trying to, you know, get to that success. And like you, I had those nuggets. I had those times when, you know, I saw some, you know, pretty good results, but then I had times when I just, you know, I just didn't. And it was so frustrating. And finally, I was in a company, I just I prayed a lot. And God took me different places. And I learned a whole lot of different lessons. And he finally took me into a company where someone mentored me. And that's what made all the difference. And I can't say I saw, you know, huge success, but I saw a lot more success than I had ever seen. And then during that time, well, I guess about seven years in, I started ghostwriting just as a way to earn extra money. And now here I am a publisher. Nice. And all of those lessons that I learned throughout those years, you said you carried those lessons with you. And Mm -hmm. I did the same thing. I learned, I learned, I failed, I failed, I learned, I learned, had a bit, learned, (laughs) failed. You know, it just went back and forth in this vicious circle. And then finally, when I started the publishing company, that was when all of it kind of came together Mm -hmm. and I was able to,
2: you know, have success like I'd never thought I could. Absolutely. Little fun fact, if I were going to go on a trip to somewhere that I've never been before and have no idea what I'm getting myself into, you're exactly the kind of person I want to take on that trip. Because <laughs> no matter what happens, we're going to figure it out. We're going to get through, we're going to go on, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Hey, it's so, an adventure. Exactly. And sometimes the adventure takes you to places that you
1: have no clue what you're doing.
2: <laughs> exactly. It's all good. And I think that's important for people to know, especially, I think, especially authors, because it becomes so easy to kind of get stuck in our own heads of, I have this awesome story to tell and to bring it out. And, yes. and, and, and it becomes part of you almost more than a business does in that it's my story. It's my interpretation of the world. It's my whatever. And if it doesn't sell, it's really easy to take it personally that they didn't yeah. like me. And that's not true at all. It's not true in any way, shape or form. And it's just being able to get your story out is paramount. And then surrounding yourself by people that have made a ton of mistakes that can see where you're making it and give you those little tweaks along the way. And oftentimes it's just those little tweaks that all of a sudden your rails get or your wheels get back on the rail and, and off you go. You know, it's funny that you said that
1: because we feel as entrepreneurs that it should be this straight line up and it never is. It's no. it's like a bowl of spaghetti. Yep. Sometimes you have no clue where you're going. You crisscross back and over and front and forward and you're like, Am I even getting anywhere? And I remember one time I heard a quote that an arrow can only be shot by pulling it backwards first. Absolutely. And it got me thinking, mm-hmm. that's that's what a lot of my entrepreneur <laughs> career was like was, you know, that that pulling back. <laughs> Just waiting for the right time
2: to let that arrow go. Absolutely. And And there's a lot of analogies within that too, because pulling back creates a lot of resistance, it creates a lot of tension. Everybody else is going. You're crazy. This is wrong. You're going. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> like, and everyone else is moving forward, and you're not <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you want to look at kind of all of those elements of that mm-hmm. metaphor because I think it's a really, really good one.
1: Well, I think the other thing too is is we cannot compare our journey to other people's journeys because that's just miserable.
2: <laughs> well, especially if the person next to you is a catapult near and you're an arrow, like they're totally going in a different direction and. not getting, they're creating that tension by pulling forward, because then the system's got to go down in order to be able to go forward. Like, there's just so many things that are so different for everybody that's around us, even though we're all kind of working in the same direction. And everybody that's an overnight success, you know, took their seven years, their 20 years to get there. (laughs) And, And we always miss that part of the story, too.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, you look at just start studying famous people's lives. And see how long it took. I mean, I am always amazed. Apparently, he was not a very nice man. And he went through some really weird and strange things. But Colonel Saunders was in his 60s when he started KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he had failed many times before that. He suffered from depression and all sorts of other things.
2: And yet, you know, at the right time. Absolutely. Well, and I love hearing Jack Canfield's story about how they started. His first book was like if I can write one, if I can write a book and make one dollar off of each book and sell a million of them, I made my million dollars. I think actually it was a hundred thousand that he wanted. I think it was a hundred thousand because the reason I was so impressed was one, really you're only looking at a dollar profit on each of your books, and you're only looking at a hundred thousand. And I get it that at that time, obviously money had a different valuation to it, but it still wasn't in my eyes a huge aspiration. It was Mm -hmm. aspirational. But it wasn't a huge aspiration. And I think that's the part that we miss is that we're all looking at the million dollar mark going, how do I make a million? When in reality, it's like, how do I create a lifestyle I want? How do I have fun with the kind of people I love hanging around with? How do I make a 100 grand? And just starting with like, hey, how do I how do I get this foundation solid so that if I spent every day like this, I would love Mm -hmm. every day of it. As opposed to, I just want to make a million dollars, then we end up hating our lives, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we hate the people that we're around. Like, that's not a good way to exponentially go to a million. (laughs) It's a terrible way to go to a million. So figure out how to create the perfect day that you want, and then multiply that day out, you know, and then your odds are a lot higher. Well, you know, a couple things. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many times
1: did Jack Canfield submit chicken soup to the soul (laughs) to publishers and no one would pick it up? Right. Right? So is that... But secondly, you know, look at how many famous people have committed suicide, or you know were drug addicts and all this because they had everything the world had to offer, and they still weren't happy.
2: It's because the fundamental, in my opinion, it's because the fundamental wasn't there yeah and, and and when the fundamental is there, then awesome and amazing things happen it's 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 kind of like Harvecker used to say, nobody gives you a triple ice cream cone." Until you can handle a single cone ice cream. <laughs> Once you can handle a single cone ice cream, then you can have the double and then you can have the triple. But there's a skill set to being able to balance that <laughs> to know kind of how to navigate it on a hot day with, without blowing it. And, and, and that's really what you want to do is start with the kitty cone and go, you know, mm-hmm. do I even like? vanilla ice cream? Do I even like black licorice ice cream? I happen to. Some people hate it. Those kind of decisions are important to know, especially if you're asking for a triple cone, right? You don't want to get stuck with a flavor that you can't stand.
1: Yeah, and you know, we haven't even gotten to your training section yet. (laughs) So valuable. Oh yeah,
2: right. I should probably do that.
1: (laughs) You know, one thing I was thinking about is, is you are right. Sometimes you know, when we start small, that's how we determine, you know, what we like, what we don't like, what we can do, what we can't do. And it gives you an opportunity to lay a foundation. I've seen people, you know, grow their business so fast, but it grew so
2: fast with no foundation that it crumbled. Yep. And they lose it. And those people like me go, yeah, and we have lessons.
1: Oh, we've got about 10 minutes left there, Michelle. So I do want to get to the training section for today, though. I think you and I are going to have more conversations.
2: Really uh, a lot more conversations. So I'm going to, because I think I understand the question already is, what's the difference between the online and the offline marketing for a book? And I think it's hugely important to go into that. So we've been laying the foundation for this conversation is what kind of lifestyle do you want to create for starters? Second of all, I think especially in the in the book world, you have to have an online and an offline strategy. Well, no, you have to have a offline strategy and if you want to add an online strategy, you can using your book to sell and upsell and to be able to sell people into programs is the immensely lucrative business plan, and there are a ton of people that will help to teach you what that strategy is and how it'll work for you and your industry and your company and your everything, because you can be an astrophysicist and you can be a zoologist and you can anywhere between and still make that work. The thing you want to understand is that online, just putting your book on Amazon or whatever, isn't going to sell you a hundred thousand copies. There is not a number one bestseller out there who has just put it out set it and released it. They all go on tours. They all encourage their entire tribes to buy. They all have a marketing strategy behind them and often very expensive ones. (laughs) So if you're kind of not in, Hey, I got a hundred grand to spend on this in order to become a New York times bestseller, then you really want to look at what are the ways I can do. it. And one of the best ways is to speak from stage, either sell your book at the back of the room or give away kind of the first chapter and then entice people to get it from there and to get the first chapter and then kind of put them in a nurture campaign afterwards is all digital. That has to be set up. You yeah. can do it one of two ways. You can either set up your, your offline marketing strategy and then move into an online strategy or you can start with an online strategy right off the bat that allows you to do both so you can hand people a book and go hey it's 10 bucks it's 20 bucks whatever it is and actually take physical money if they still have that with them and you can go hey if you want my book text you know my book at 123 and that requires the digital campaigns and things that we love doing for authors and helping them to to get their entire business strategy set up and done for them so that they're not having the headache of trying to figure out tech acronyms and software and all that fun stuff.
1: And I think you're right there. And, you know, one thing that you said that, you know, I really want to stress is the fact, like you said, you know, people want to become these New York Times bestsellers, but they don't realize is it does cost you about $100,000 to do so. Even if you want to get in a compilation book mm-hmm. that the company will guarantee will go to a New York Times bestseller, you're looking anywhere from ten dollars to $20,000 just to have your one chapter written in that book. It's not... It's not cheap, and you pretty well do have to buy your way in. It's not. Yeah. It's not based on the quality of your book. It's not based on the quality of your writing or your editing or, you know, any of those things. And I think we get this impression that if I just write a good enough book, no, <laughs> no, <nope.
2: laughs> you want to have a good enough book because you want oh. it to go viral. But that is not the premise of what you do. So the good enough book I think is probably about 20% of the equation. Unfortunately, you need that Marketing 20% the of the equation. Marketing is totally the rest. And a lot of times even the publishers will say, "Okay, how many books can you sell?" which means that you have to have an existing audience of people, which means you've already put in a ton of work and a ton of money and a ton of lead generation yeah. in order to be able to work off of that. And at the same time, I want you to understand that whatever book you've written, whether it's fantasy or business or somewhere in between, I mean, have fun with it and talk about it all the time. People want to hear about it because if it if it was worth the energy to put into a book, then it's worth the energy to be able to consume and read and get something out of it. And I think that's what people are missing out on is the fact that, it's a tool mm-hmm. and you
1: only get out of it what you put into it right so <laughs> exactly. just get that book out there and you know people say well i don't have a tribe well then use the book to build a tribe
2: exactly right you'll attract them because they'll find that they're interested in the title and then they're interested in the subtitle and then they're interested in, like that whole idea of writing is you create that intrigue and if you don't have that intrigue that's okay you find somebody that will coach you on how to create that intrigue so that you can come up with your version of it was a dark stormy night,
1: <laughs> and the thing is too, is you have to pay your dues. There, there's mm-hmm. no getting around it. I mean, unless you've already got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to throw at a marketing firm to build your tribe for you. I hate to break it to you, but then you'll still go through it. It's just yeah. a different kind of yeah. Well, it would probably be a little faster and a little less work for you, but yeah, you still have to build that tribe. So why not start now? Yeah. Get that book out there. Start, you know, start building that tribe on social media. You know, get that email marketing going. It is not that expensive to get email marketing going. Build that. that tribe of people who know, like, and trust you. So your first book, you don't expect it to become this amazing bestseller, but you use it as a tool to get to where you want to go. One of the things that's been amazing and one thing that happened to one of my clients was he originally we did his book because he wanted to be on a certain stage and he had to be an author to be on a certain stage that he wanted to be on. And so that's why we did his book. But over the last four years, this book has become a message. It has, it has taken off profoundly. He just kept talking about the book, talking about the book, talking about the book. And he did get on that stage. So that did help, but he just talks a lot about the book. And you know, he has sold thousands of, of copies. Companies now hire him to do team reads, to teach the skills that he taught in the book. You know, it's just incredible. He has over 200 five star reviews on Amazon. We're working on book number two,
2: but all he did is kept talking about the book and he got the book into people's hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to keep talking about the book. And if you're especially kind of crazy like me, I wrote my book because it was inside of me and I was doing a business pivot and I went, okay, I've got all of this experience. I have to get this down on paper and make this book. So I made that book. And Was it the best book? No. Was I convinced that there was no typos in it? Yes. Until I gave it to my stepson who said, yeah, page one, bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay. note, Uh, (laughs) note. When you
1: have worked on a book for so long, you become blind to it and you can no longer
2: see the error. I had an editor on, (laughs) I had other friends on and everybody missed it. And I'm like, First read bottom of the page, so well, I just yeah, went. The book you know. I was talking to you
1: about. We were eighteen months into the book, and someone came to him and said, "You know," and he had sold probably a thousand copies at that point. Yeah. And someone found a typo eighteen
2: months in. And They're gonna find typos, dude. Right? <laughs> they're just they're so going to.
1: I think just premise, let it go. You know, your book's never going to be perfect, so don't. It needs to be good. It
2: needs to be exceptional. It needs to be excellent. It will never be perfect, and. A little tip, if you do write a business book and you're worried about the typos, you're like, oh, they're going to hate me. Just put a little note on the back and just say, for those of you, for the first person who finds each typo, we're going to give them a special prize. <laughs> we have put in a certain amount of typos and we want you to find those <laughs> and we're going to give you presents for finding them. And then you're like, ha, ha. <laughs> Well, then, you know, people are reading it and you're building a list. I like that. <laughs> and when they do find it, you know that they've read up to that point and willing to give you some feedback and you're like, oh, awesome. And hey, by the way, I got this free thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Win-win. So Michelle, what's the name of your book? Mine is The Business Ownership Mindset. I have a book. <laughs> there you go. That's me. Business Ownership Mindset. And I I got a, I had a three-star review on Amazon once. And she said she doesn't know how to intrigue people. And I went, oh, that's not a very nice review. I don't think I want that review. And she's like, fine, I'll take it down. And then I read the book kind of three years after I wrote it. And I went, wow, this does not lead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was right. (laughs) Of course she was right. (laughs) But that's okay. Other people read it. The reason that it worked was because I spoke on stage and talked about the book. And then when people read it, they had the mental kind of buy-in initially, and they knew what they were getting into. So I didn't have to, quote, unquote, have to have kind of the pre-log and the feed into, because I just started on context. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. I don't recommend doing that. I'm telling you, there's a lot of mistakes I've made that I'm happy to share with you. Don't do that.
1: So, Michelle, here's a question that I ask every author or soon-to-be author on the Author to the Authority podcast. What was the good, the bad, and the ugly of publishing that book? Well,
2: the good was that I got it done. I was super excited about that. (laughs) The bad was that I personally had to read it about 75 times, about 50 of which were out loud in order to find kind of how it flowed and whether or not it actually made sense or if it just made sense in my brain. So by the time I was done with it, I kind of hated it and <laughs> didn't read it for three years afterwards. Talked about it a lot, but I didn't read it. And the ugly of it is that I, uh, because my business has pivoted, I don't talk about it as much as I could have, should have, would have. I, The ugly is I could have, should have, would have written it three years earlier so that it would have built up my business and used it as a tool like your example. Because when you're speaking from stage and you're speaking with people and they say you're an author, Oh, what's the name of your book? Everybody wants to know what the name of your book is and they want to know what it's about. And that becomes intriguing. And then of course they want to buy the book and some people actually read the books. I like to buy books and put them on bookshelves. Not everybody's like that. Some people actually read them and (laughs) to be able to garner that intrigue because it's, I find as soon as I read kind of a chapter of a book, then I want to go on and I want to, I want more of that person. I either want their coaching or I want their stories or I want to hear them on stage or whatever the case might be. And I think the same is for most people who read books. Wow.
1: That's wonderful. <laughs> we could keep going on Michelle but we are running out of time so Michelle if people have enjoyed this conversation and they want to connect with you what's the best way to connect with you and do you have
2: any little free offers for my audience today? do absolutely so I'm going to give you a free website audit so hopefully you have a website if you don't have a website that's okay too. (laughs) go and set up the wizard and just say I don't have one and then you'll get to the thank you page and you'll get a link there to meet with me so you can meet with me anyways but the website audit is pretty cool. It gives you the green lights, the yellow lights, and the red lights, according to the Google gods, where they're allowing your traffic to go to your website, and you got green lights. And that's awesome. If you have yellow lights, Google slowing down traffic from seeing your page, because you're not doing things the way they want it to. So those are important. Most important are the red lights. Red lights mean that Google is stopping traffic from going to your site on a given page or whatever it might be. And you want to make sure that you make those corrections so that Google's not stopping your traffic at all. Like I said, at the end of that, you'll get a link to book a discovery call with me and we'll go through kind of what it means to you, what you can work on first, or we can work on the strategy of your business and how we can help you to build your business and get you to where you want to be. Um, And it will include both offline and online strategies. And if you end up wanting to work with us and you're a good fit for us, that's awesome. And if you're not, you'll be able to take that information to your team and make it work.
1: You're so so, this has been Michelle Nedelik and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. <laughs>